call is now being recorded. We are SC Podcast. Gary Pasquitz joined by Daryl Rideau. And, uh, Daryl, normally in these podcasts, we're here to talk about the Utah game. Uh, normally in these podcasts, we pretty much stick to a game review and uh, talk specifically about what happened in the previous day's game. Uh, we're going to do something a little bit different today. We're, we're going to talk about the game and some of the things that we saw, even though uh, not all of it was good, obviously, in a uh, 41-28 loss. Uh, to the youths, but uh, we're, we're going to also take some of the things that we saw and talk talk more big picture things about where this USC Trojan football team is at right now, a little more than halfway through the 2018 season. And so I just want to go over some quick numbers here uh, sure. from this game. Like I said, 41-28. Excuse me, lost my headset there for a second. <laughs> Shows what kind of podcast this is going to be. Talking about this game. No, no, uh, no, no big deal. Um, to, to, totally good yards in this game, Daryl. Utah 541, SC 205. That's a big number. Um, I want to talk about the second and third quarter. Utah outscored USC 34 to nothing in the second and third quarter. Can't, uh, can't happen. USC rushing yards 73. I believe last week was 51. Um, these are not big numbers. Daryl, probably the biggest number for this game that stood out to me, nine drives of three and out for the USC offense. Nine. Right. That, that's, that, that can't happen. That, that's ridiculous. That, that, that's um, a lot of futility. That's a lot of – what kind of pressure does that put on a defense? It, well, I can tell it, you. It puts, it puts so much strain on other aspects of the game. And uh-huh. – um, but you know, and if you don't mind, I'd like to kind of start diving into this part of it because yeah. what did we know coming into this game? We knew that USC hadn't won at Rice Echo Field up in Salt Lake City, Utah, against these Utes since 2012, when uh-huh. Matt Barkley led 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 a, a ranked USC team 38 to 28. Okay, but after that, 2014, 2016. You knew you were in a dogfight. USC would go into the fourth quarter with the lead and lose the game. So you knew going into this, and the common denominator in all, in all of this, going back to Barkley, is Clay Hilton. So, Clay, this is your coaching staff. This is your team. You know going into Rice Echo Field what you're up against, from the crowd noise to the, the, the type of physical play that Utah prides themselves on. The amount mm-hmm. of Polynesians that that patrol that defensive line and that like to play um, on the opposite side of, uh, of the line of scrimmage. You knew all of this. And you sold us on your team is going to be more physical. You're going to make more of an emphasis and showcase the very talented running backs that you have. To the point where you brought in Drevno to run your running game, uh, to be your running game coordinator. Okay, so everything leading into this season and leading into this game checked off boxes that you were building a team to contend against the Notre Dames of the world, the Texas of the world, the Utahs of the world, and the Stanfords. But when you come into a game and you script your plays, normally, Gary, teams, when you script plays, the opponent will respect what you're doing, and they will remain in their base coverage not to try to do anything exotic or fancy until they see how you're going to attack them. And that's what Utah did defensively. 
but when you start the game off and you get a false start, now you're backed up first and 15. You would have think that they were already playing from behind, Gary, because what did we see on that first drive? Three consecutive pass plays. Okay? At a time when Utah's defense is not going to be any more vanilla than it was on that first drive, you mm-hmm. elected not even to try to push or give a threat of a running game. So when you tell me you want to be a balanced and physical team, you're definitely not showing it in the way that you're calling your games. And that puts a lot of pressure, as we talked about, that puts a lot of pressure on special teams. It puts a lot of pressure, more pressure on defense, because we already know Clancy likes to roll with his veterans, and, and he tries to keep a tight rotation. Although this year it feels like he's, he's been forced to go deeper onto the, uh, the bench to, to rotate guys in to keep healthy bodies on the field. Yeah, and, and the one thing that really jumped out to me, total plays in this game, Daryl, 81 to 54. 81 for Utah, 54 for USC. So right. you, you talk you, you talk about simple strain on a defense, just sheer number of plays. You know, uh, and, and you talked about nine drives ending in three and outs, right? Uh-huh. Well, there was a time where there was like USC was 0-10 on third down. Yeah. I mean, if you're on a sideline, and I've been on this sideline at USC, I've been uh, I've been through the dog years and the good years, and the times that I played under Paul Hackett, which we would regard as the dog years, where you know we went three and eight, and 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 my good friend uh, Petros Papadakis would say that he was a captain on the worst USC team in history. I remember times coming off the field gasping for air because. Um, a team might have scored or we forced a punt. Coming on the sideline looking for water, only to turn around and find out that we're calling punt team again. There is nothing more deflating or demoralizing because oftentimes on special teams, your starters on defense also play on that side of the ball. So I've gone out in situations where I'm winded. The, the offense is fresh and energized because I was expecting at least a 7 to 10 play drive, keep the ball for at least 3 to 5 minutes, give us a chance to breathe. What are we seeing with this USC team that's um, with a heavy emphasis on passing? We're seeing a defense that's probably starting to roll their eyes, Gary, looking at that offense sideways, but not even the offensive players. They're probably looking up at the press box and say, man, you got to be kidding me. Three and out again? Nine Give consecutive us a times? Here. Give us a chance here. Give us a chance. Because if I'm being, if I'm giving my all as a defensive player and I'm selling, I'm selling out for the program, at least do me a solid and protect me. Protect me from me. Because I don't know any better but to play one way, fast and hard. But I can't That's play what... fast and hard if I'm gasping for air because I'm likely going to put myself in a position where I could cause an injury. But that's what you've been coached to do is to play fast and hard. Um, you've been told to do that. And, and so let, let, let's talk – I want to talk offense really quick uh, right, right now, Daryl. If, you, if you're looking at it, if you're sitting there and you're, uh, if you're a player on this team or if you're looking at this offensive play calling and, and saying, what is this? It, it, just, it, it seems like we just get caught in this fascination yeah. uh, of throwing the ball time after time after time when we have good running backs, when we have running backs that we can throw the ball to. And we don't seem to do that too often. Um, what, what is the block here that we're missing? What is the block here that we're not seeing with this play calling? Okay. So 
if I'm going to break it down, it is one thing if you're in an air raid attack like Texas Tech and you have a complex offensive scheme that is layered where you got guys boots and waggles, you got guys crossing the field intermediary routes and deep routes, okay? Tight ends that are running button hooks or curl routes, but they're also running speed outs and maybe um, skinny posts, okay? Giving a quarterback an opportunity to go through his progression. If if you were telling me that this offense was predicated around a, a, a prolific passing attack which would uh, exploit all aspects of this team, I, I wouldn't have any gripe okay, or quarrel about it. But we're not seeing that. We're seeing a, a heavy, dominant uh, passing attack that's relying upon 50-50 balls. So with that being said, I now have to turn up to the press box again and look at an offensive coordinator and ask the question. If, if, if we have three talented running backs, okay, that, that all can run in between the tackles, then when I look at the, uh, when I look at the, <clears throat> at the box scores, I shouldn't see a backup quarterback with four attempts and 21 yards and one of my co-starters in Stephen uh, Carr, 12 carries for 23 yards. Something is wrong wow. with the disparity of the patience in establishing the running game. It does take patience, Gary. It's not always going to pop, but you have to chip away at it. It's like a boxer in the middle of the ring throwing body blows when when his opponent is hitting you with jabs and uppercuts. Eventually, those body blows are going to wear a team down. Eventually, those body blows, um, chipping away at the running game, you're going to leak something. It is not sexy, but what it does is it establishes a dominance and a power to your team that not only gives you pride, but it also demoralizes your opponent. But to a man, when you walk off the field against Utah, and if someone were to to quote one of the players for Utah and ask, what did you think about USC? Oh, they were soft. I I thought that USC, you know, I I thought that, you know, they, they had tradition. This is a soft team. I played better teams in the whack. You don't want those kind of comments to come back on your program, but that's what happens when you become finesse because you don't take the patience to develop a physicality about how you practice, and you translate that onto the football field by simulating that physical style of play within the trenches in practice, and you allow it to manifest itself on the field. Instead, you catch guys that are a little skeptical, a little hesitant early on in the game because they haven't hit in practice. And so when they take a blow, it takes them a minute to let those butterflies go. And I'm referring to the USC players who primarily practice in helmets and shoulder pads, and I mean in shorts. I, you know, and when they do go full pads, you rarely see them thud up. I'm not saying you got to take a player to the ground, Gary, but but there is how you prepare for the game usually is an indication of how you're going to play. And, and that's part of the disconnect uh, with, with Clay Helton and what he is preaching and what he is selling to USC fans. Uh, he made a statement last week, Daryl, uh, saying, I'm a run-first coach. I'm the son of an O-line coach. And and so he's talking about his philosophy, I'm a, I'm a run-first coach. D- Daryl, where, where, where's the disconnect 
between that and what we see in the games and, like you just said, what we see in practice? Because I think it all does, so much of it right now comes back to practice um, and, it, it, and what does, we see Gary. there. I, I mean, beyond practice, I think we can even look back to the disservice that this coaching staff did the other 23 players, the other 23 starters, when they did not declare a starter in spring and they waited late until fall camp to determine who the starter was. Because as mm-hmm. a result of that, the bulk of the scrimmages during that time were predicated on evaluating the the, the three quarterbacks. Okay? Mm-hmm. And when you're trying to evaluate three quarterbacks, the only way you're going to evaluate them to determine who should be the starter is to sling the rock, throw the ball. Okay? So while in spring you gave a lot of carries to the starting running backs and you set this false expectation that you're going to be a run-heavy first team regardless of who your quarterback is, and then you're going to break them in. The one thing that I can say is over the last few weeks is the pitch count seemed to be working uh, in terms of you know keeping those, uh, those, uh, those attempts, those pass attempts under 30. However, when you go three and out because of how you set up the, the early cadence, leads me to believe that you truly do want to feature and showcase a quarterback that is very talented. And I'm not taking any anything away from JT Daniels, but this team is built for balance. And, okay, so let, let me ask you this, Gary. Um, the coaches may argue or, some, you know, you may hear gripe about, well, the offensive line isn't as good as last year's. But there's a lot of returning guys who have had a lot of experience. So you mean to tell me when they were able to run the ball effectively last year, that what's the difference? What happened to that style of play? It's another year where these guys have chemistry together. And I think that you're disrespecting your offensive line by not giving them an opportunity to win those battles in the trenches. So what is it? Is it truly that the offensive line isn't as good as it was, or do we have more injuries on the offensive line that I'm just not seeing? Because I'm confused. There there aren't injuries, and I I would argue that on paper, you know, a college football team isn't often going to walk into a season with this many returning starts on their offensive line. On paper, this is a very veteran offensive line by college standards. These guys have started a lot of football games. And so if they're not able to perform at the level that you need a USC offensive line to perform at, yep. um, then I'm going to then look at coaching. And okay. So, so if we are looking at coaching, Gary, then I think it's a fair criticism to say that offensively you are doing your defense a disservice by not recognizing that there are times in a game, especially on the road, where you have to bleed the clock. There are times on the road where you have to establish a running game, even if it's not working for you. You have to establish the, the presence of it to give yourself a chance to go deeper into your playbook and come out with play-action pass, come out with some other um, formations, like 12 personnel, which is one running back, mm-hmm. two tight ends. You know, um, feature you know, show glimpses again of that I formation. Even if you have no intentions on running it long term, you have to make a defense uncomfortable. They never made Utah uncomfortable. USC was the beneficiary 
of mistakes early on. When the defense of USC was fresh on fourth down, they got off the field. Okay, the ball was turned over on downs. That led to a short field and a 34, correct me if I'm wrong, about a 34, 39-yard touchdown pass to Pittman, which when you look at that play alone, um, it looked like JT Daniels had a defender draped around his legs and was able to shake him off and throw up a 50-50 prayer ball. And had it not been for a hot Michael Pittman Jr., who's been playing as good as any receiver in the country at this point, ripping the balls out of the hands of two defenders, we're talking about a touchdown and probably shaking our head like, why would you throw that ball? Right, right. But because you live with that and, and you reap the benefits of the results of that play, it sends the false illusion that that you're having more success than you are. Then Utah fumbles and, the ball. So you get yourself up 14 nothing. But then what happened, Gary, when they rallied back, when, when Utah kind of got their rhythm, and then they go up 17-14. to 14. They score 17 unanswered point at that, uh, points at that ejector uh, in time. And what did we see? We saw it felt like a panic on um, and an urgency with that USC coaching staff offensively because they continued to be aggressive trying to pass the ball instead of trying to regain control of the momentum. And, and what I thought was happening was it, it all of a sudden became very clear once that started to happen. Um, and this is always the fear when you rely too much on the quarterback. What happens when the quarterback doesn't have a good day? Right. That's a great point. Um, and that, that's what it started to be. JT Daniels ended up 6 of 16 for 89 yards. Uh, one touchdown and, and two picks, but it was just clear he he wasn't on yesterday, right? And and to to use what what is becoming hyperbole or cliche uh, when referencing the Patriots or even Alabama now, what happens when you go up against a Bill Belichick or Nick Saban like coach who makes you play left handed, takes away the one thing that you do well, your strength? Okay, and in this case. Daniels wasn't on top of his game. Even before he went out, I think, uh, what was the stat? Six, six, six for 16? Six 16. Six for 16. 89 yards yeah. and a tut and two picks. So clearly he wasn't on his game. So, But what is the best friend? What has always been the best friend of a quarterback who is struggling early? A running, a running game. game. A running game. Okay? And I, I think a lot of us, were pleasantly surprised or refreshed by when Matt Fink came in, how he was able to sustain drives, kind of utilize his athleticism, get outside of the pocket, but identify receivers in rhythm. Now, I'm not making any comparison between the two because I still think that Daniels, if when healthy, is the better of the two. But it was refreshing watching him get out of the pocket and manufacture, um, manufacture momentum. That is what the offense is missing at this point. It's what, what I was proud. What I was proud of Matt of uh, that moment was not was not too much for him. He lost a, a high profile competition in fall camp. Yeah, but he 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 showed up. He showed up yesterday ready to go. Ready to go. And, that, and, that, and that's what Matt Fink gives you. Yeah, he's not. Is he the most talented quarterback in the world? Yeah, probably not. Uh, but he represented himself well. 
he represented himself well. And you know, and like I said, I know we're 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 gonna you know really kind of dive in big picture. But shout out to um, a loco, <laughs> um, uh, Feely. Um, oh, J J T Philly. Yeah, J T Philly. Yes, you know, uh, scoop and scored. You know, you're playing at J T Philly. You score at home. That's what you dream about when you're on that bus and you're in the um and you're in, you're in the the hotel. Of making right. a big play, kind of having one of those memorable moments, and I was like pouting my chest, like "Good for you! You get to come home, you know, and you set it off right like that." It just felt I was so happy for him because I know how much he puts into um, practice and his preparation for the Trojans. But make no mistake about it, there is nothing like home cooking, and there is nothing like having. Hey, bro, can I borrow some of your tickets because I got this extended right. family in town. You know, right, there is nothing right. like shining in front of your friends and fam. Oh, and, uh, and then, and then, oh man, that was and, just and a great that one. That one, that wasn't a running back scoring a touchdown. No, that was right through. Oh no, that was a big fella. That was a big was a fella. Big fella. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for him to strike the Heisman pose though in the end zone. <laughs> that was so. great. Like you say, good, good, good for you, J. T. Fella. Uh, one, one of the one of the few bright spots. Uh, right. I, I want, I want to flip it on defense, not not not, not to go to something. Daryl, what is with our tackling yesterday? Oh, boy. Um, and and you, you notice, Gary, okay, so when we talk about the tackling, all right, there's a fundamental way of tackling, which is grab cloth. When you When you make contact, you grab cloth and you hold on and you drive your legs through. Okay, and mm-hmm. if you're a five foot, mm-hmm. if you're a five footer like me, okay, um, what you do is you your aiming point is the hip to above the knee in the thigh area, and when you hit and you make contact with that shoulder, you wrap up and you roll. What we are seeing right now is as the guys get tired and frustrated, they resort back to a thump using their shoulder pads and try to knock a person over. These guys at the uh, D1 level, in particular Pac-12, are too talented. They're bouncing off of those type of plays. So what mm-hmm. we're seeing is yards after contact. And it's mounding up because of the way that this defense is designed. It's designed to clog the middle and to fan the def- uh, the, uh, the offensive player sideline to sideline to roam east and west so that your linebackers can scrape downhill. But when that action comes right at you, there is a gap between the safeties and the linebackers because oftentimes the linebackers are hovering over the line of scrimmage. So when you make contact, you have to grab cloth, you have to wrap up, and we are not seeing that. And as a result of that, these drives are being extended and it is wearing the guys down because at the point of contact, we're seeing dead feet, dead legs from the defenders, and they're not, they're thrusting their body into the, uh, the offensive player who appears to be bouncing off time after time again. Okay, wait, I, I want to go to that point you're saying dead legs. Um, one of the things that Clay Helton keeps on saying is one of the reasons that we don't extend ourselves in practice too much is to keep fresh legs. For our players. Gary, I've never once seen a player pull a hamstring, 
from practicing in full pads. Okay? But I've seen time after time soft tissue issues come as a result of running around in shorts and shoulder pads. It's just it, – there, but there is something fundamental about building callus on your fingers for taking the gloves off and actually gripping the pole when you are um, – the bar when you're lifting weights or if you're mm-hmm. grabbing bricks or you're doing some chores around the house, okay, or outside, your honeydew checklist. Whatever that thing is, there is something about texture on the hand, and the only way you develop that type of callus on the football field is to hit in practice, thud in practice. There is no magic elixir. Hitting is not a natural thing, and anybody that tells you that they love hitting is lying if they tell you that they don't have those initial ju- uh, um, <clears throat> butterflies in their stomach before they deliver that first blow and they, that, that adrenaline comes out. But because we don't see it, and you go up against a team that is uh, built to play physical football like Utah, it takes time for, for the, uh, your opponent. And in this case, it, it takes time for USC to adjust to that type of physicality and that type of emotion um, that it takes to play football at that pace. I am disappointed that Clay is still treating this like we are limited in scholarships. It's almost as though he is trying to preserve something that you have you now have depth for. You have a full slate of scholarships and you and you have a deep enough bench where you can rotate guys in bursts and give them at least some drills in practice where you are going to go live contact because it's only going to prepare them and simulate a game-like scenario so that when a player goes on the field, Gary, they go on the field with confidence. The, the easiest way to lose the trust and respect of your team is to not prepare them for what they're about to encounter. If we were to read a playbook, a, um, if we were to read the, um, <clears throat> the game plan and go out there and a team isn't doing anything that we practiced, or mentally I did not feel prepared, I'm going to look at my coach sideways and start second-guessing, which leads to hero ball, start looking out for my own stats. Clay is on the brink of losing that because up until uh, this week, what did you have to hang your hat on? You're not in contention for a national title, so let's focus on winning the Pac-12 South to give ourselves a chance to contend for a Pac-12 championship. When you start losing those goals and you start having to rely on outside or external, the players are going to start whispering, man, you know, what's going on? You know, like they're selling us short. Why is it that they're lying to us about our preparation when we know we need to hit? It isn't the players going to the coaches and saying, you know, hey, man, you guys need to take it easy on us. They're probably saying, this is, this is cakewalk. And when you have younger players, you're setting the wrong expectation. This is not a team of full veterans. You're, you, you have to set a tone for how you practice. And Clay Helton is on, on the verge of losing that because that senior class that went through those dormant years are now on the brink of graduating. And you're not setting the right precedents to extend this level of success. Because your practice is crap. You practice like you're a pro team 
preparing for a Thursday night game. You don't, you're not giving your team a chance to mentally prepare themselves for a hard-fought battle. And, 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 and I want to make sure people understand who don't know your background, Daryl, and like you say, being on that, that final Paul Hackett team, um, you, you experienced not only the highs of Pete Carroll, but you experienced a coach who went through a season, like you said, three and eight, and, yeah. and to where the coach lost it and lost his job. Um, it's no secret right now the Wolves are out for Clay Helton. Whether or not he's going to lose his job, right. we don't know. But the Wolves are out right now. I'm, I'm guessing at a very similar place to where they were with Paul Hackett that final year. Right. Gary, like, much like JT Daniels, I came out of Long Beach Poly in 1999. I was a four-year starter on varsity, where I only lost three or four games total, won a national championship, and was highly recruited. So I came in with the mindset that it's going to take a recruiting class like the one that I'm coming in with, with Troy Palomalu, who was an unknown uh, recruit at that time, or a less-known recruit at that time, sure, sure. in the likes of a Kareem Kelly, to name a few, to change the um, culture at USC. And when we came in, I was shocked how how much lack of confidence that oozed through our program. Um, and much of that had to do with the lack of confidence that the players had in the leadership of them being prepared, of we as players being prepared to go into battle. And during the game, when we had success, how to build off of success. What we are seeing now is the erosion of this program. Yes, the Wolves are circling around Clay Helton, but it's self-inflicted. Much of his uh, much of his criticism is coming because he sold us one narrative, and he is contradicting what we believe to be his beliefs, his core value, and everything that he's been taught up until this point, um, and prepared him to be a head coach. When you do not make the critical choices and decisions for the betterment of your program then you have every right to be criticized when you preach to us that you want to be a balanced program and you find yourself not understanding the situation or what those situations calls for, whether it's in practice or in game-like situations. There are too many examples of you not doing it the right way for us to say that USC is not a program where you learn on the job. Go somewhere else to figure that part out. This is a program with high expectation and high pressure. And if pressure bursts pipes, you're in the wrong program. Because most of the time, the coaches and, and players who have thrived and had the most success and, and create legacies for themselves, create, turn that pressure into diamonds. They figure out a way to overcome adversity and to dictate um, the tone of how they're going to play, not the other way around. And this program right now feels very reactionary, and that's a criticism that goes back to, again, a small-minded thought process and how this program is being run and operated. And something has to change, or you're going to start losing people's um, confidence, and you're going to start losing it quickly when there's nothing else to cheer for. That's uh, th th Those are words of someone who's been through it. Uh... 
it's going to be very interesting, Daryl. Five games left in the regular season. Uh, got ASU coming to town, Cal, Oregon State. All of a sudden, UCLA is putting together some semblance of an offense over there. And right. uh, so where, where are they going to be by the time we run into them? And, and then I think the fact that Notre Dame is undefeated right now in the top five yeah. team uh, speaks speak volumes for what the Irish are going to bring to town. But, but Gary, let me ask you this. Does it surprise you that with five games remaining in the season, we still don't know what this te- the DNA of this team is? Uh, I, 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 yes, it does. Um, I, I, I really thought that the blueprint was there, uh, with this running game. And I think the offensive line is talented enough to lead the way running the football. Uh, and that that would have allowed JT to settle in, like you referenced earlier. Uh, it looked like we had found that pitch count at about 25 passes a game for JT, um, and let the running game lead the way. I really thought that was the blueprint that could work for this offense. Yeah. And, I, and I'm surprised we haven't followed it more. You know what's interesting? Um, again, uh, I was watching the, the Pac-12 broadcast, and they threw out a statistic that 70% of and, – and I may be getting this wrong, but it was something along the lines of 70% of JT Daniels, like either third down um, targets is – up until now with Amon Ross St. Brown. Okay. Right. And you almost got the sense that Utah studied, did their homework, and was aware of that. Because there were times when uh, there was an interception, okay, that, uh, that JT threw, and it felt like he tried to force the ball into, okay. And usually when you see a quarterback pressing like that to force the ball, whether it's a pitch count or not, it almost gets the sense that he measures every throw, that every throw has to be an accurate throw or has to be the the game-winning throw because of the amount of pressure that is on him to carry the offense. That is why the running game is so important to a quarterback, to allow them to settle in and find their rhythm and groove when, when, they're, when their best stuff isn't working. And you deprive the offense of having that type of success and controlling the crowd noise when you take that aspect away from them uh from the game plan without um without Utah doing anything to challenge that i felt like uh, USC becoming one dimensional in that game was self-induced but i could easily count back to a, mo- uh, a number of games where that was the same thing to the point where the one game where they had almost 300 yards rushing felt like an aberration. Mm-hmm. I can't right. even remember who they played. It was so long ago. Uh, uh, where, where, where they had that. Uh, it was Arizona. Yeah. yeah. Where, where they had that kind of success. So I, I'm just I'm really really puzzled about um, why if if Clay Helton is so conscious of it in this pr- post game presser. Why isn't he doing anything about it during the game to get them back to the middle, standard deviation, when they go so far off kilt and, and so heavy dependent on the passing game when the score doesn't dictate for you to have to play from behind where you abandon the rest of your game plan? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I, I, I wish I knew a good answer to that because it is – that gets in that area of self-scouting that he talked right. about during the bye week. 
um, that, boy, sometimes it seems like you could look at our self-scouting and, uh, and find some pretty consistent patterns in, in what we do to where, like you say, a coaching staff like Utah can look at it and say, okay, well, he goes to Amon Ross 70% of the time on third down. Right, right. And if and I've let got me that in, information let, in my pocket, right, right. that's going to help me. In, let me. Let me end my thoughts with this, okay? Let's keep in mind that um, the athletic director, the great Lynn Swan, did not hire Clay Heldon or this staff, okay? So he doesn't have an allegiance to – um, to Clay Helton. And now that we have now learned, and if and if one would argue, well, it may be a money situation because of a pending lawsuit regarding the gynecologist. Well, as we learned over the weekend, that is now settled for significantly less than probably what was expected. Okay? P- pending final approvals. Okay? So, now that you know that part at least uh, from a systemic or global aspect of the university is out of the way, if you're Clay Helton, your first obligation is to protect your job. And if that means that you have to reevaluate your coaching staff to determine if you are getting the best value out of the guys in your in, in you know um in your locker room or in your meeting room, you better think twice before placing loyalty in all the wrong places. Because as we've seen in the NFL, we've seen a lot of people get fired, and even at the collegiate level, offensive coordinators losing their positions, defensive coordinators losing their positions mm-hmm. during the season. So the the thought that you have to wait till the after the season, you know, you should not factor that. You have to do what is in the best interest of your team to keep your team because the moment that you lose your team, it is hard to go back and apologize and say you're going to do something differently. I'd like to think that you have it in you, Clay Helton, but if you don't and you need help with it, I will say it for you. You need to reconsider your offensive coordinator because if your message is to be balanced, you're certainly working with an offensive coordinator that doesn't seem to buy into your philosophy of balance. We're not seeing it right now. And balance to me isn't distributing the ball amongst all the receivers equally. Balance is dictating to your opponent and exploiting their weaknesses and, and keeping them off balance. <laughs> and keeping them off balance. And sometimes bullying your way into a running game and being adamant and determined that you are going to make it work because it's going to benefit you later in the game. There it is. And, and that's the truth because you're, you're the USC Trojans, Daryl. Um, how many teams out there can stop you from running the ball when you really want to run the ball? There shouldn't be many. There shouldn't be many. There should not be many. Because you have the schemes, if you really want to uh, run the ball um, with authority, you can put sub packages in there to get yourself to get yourself two yards. Mm-hmm. So, and we, and I know I've seen it because you showed it to us in the past. So you can't tell me that you don't have it. It's a want to, isn't it? It's a will. And if that is not a part of the, the will of your team now, then don't lie to us. Tell us that you know you want to you want to feature the passing game. I will buy that if that's what you're selling me. But don't right. sell me something else because now you start to come off as, as, a, as an insurance salesman. And no slight on insurance salesmen. I was one of them. 
But your point, but your point is well taken. And, and you, and if you look at the We RSC message boards right now, you will see that tone today. Um, Clay Helton lost another level of people last night um, a, a, after that game. This tone took another turn um, to a place that Clay doesn't want it to go. Right, right, right. And, and, and I can't and, say I blame the fans right now. I really don't. And, really and, and we both know we've been around Clay long enough where he's very positive and uplifting. But but you can be positive and uplifting without lying to yourself. Right. Okay. Right. And so right. be honest with yourself and where you're at, and tell us, hey, our program is not where it should be at this point. And if you're going to take ownership of it, then don't just take ownership of it with lip service. Show us results and solutions. But when when you're outnumbered 541 yards of, of offense that Utah put up against your team, and that disparity can and you can primarily place uh, a lot of that criticism on the lack of efficiency of an offense that went three and out nine times during during the game where there were times where you needed to nurture and bleed the clock just to control the narrative in the temple, you can't tell me that you're having those discussions on the sideline, let's run the ball, and then your offensive coordinator is blatantly passing the ball. Because last I heard, that's insubordination. Right. Right. Those are pretty hard numbers to hide. Those are pretty hard numbers to hide. So uh, we will see how they respond because um, this – was much this was a different loss as as you were talking to me about before we started this podcast the the reason why i think it was a different loss is because you uh, clay sat there and he set an expectation that this was a physical game this was for mm-hmm. the pac 12 south lead you know he made no gripes about it this was important but you didn't come to play you did not bring your best effort to the table collectively you didn't give yourself a strategic advantage in a game that required one i don't get it uh well unfortunately that's where we're that's where the usc trojan football program is at right now um we have found ourselves multiple times uh, after games this year shaking our head saying i don't get it um and and those are going to start to add up too many times uh, for Clay Helton, just like, just as they added up too many times uh, for Paul Hackett, right? And uh, right. that that that's not a good thing, Clay Helton. Um, you weren't around for Paul Hackett, but that's not a good thing to be compared. Uh, yeah. You're not looking fondly upon the Paul Hackett tenure uh, at yeah. USC. <laughs> Absolutely, and and I want to believe you are better than that, but the small coach mentality does not work well at SC. If you are going to coach with, and when I say a small coach mentality, it's when you allow the opponent to intimidate or discourage your preparation to the extent where you it appears as though you lack the confidence that you have the ability to beat your opponent on the opposite side. And that is what we are seeing when, when Clay is going up against his peer group, the upper echelon. Yeah. I'm not talking about some of the lower-tier teams. I'm talking about teams that marquee games, that, that, that USC has built its legacy on winning. I can't go back and tell you the games that, um, uh, you know, of, of watered-down opponents, like the Cows or the Oregon State at the time I played. 
But I can tell you that I always got up for the Notre Dame, the UCLA's, and you know, and, and the bowl games because those are the games that are memorable. That is why I was recruited and I came to SC because in '98, and I sat in those bleachers and I saw Florida State in the Coliseum. I said that is college football at its finest, and I want to be a mm-hmm. part of that. But when you're on the when you're on the losing end of that, your program is on the verge of becoming irrelevant. And you don't want to be in a position to become irrelevant when you're a head coach at USC. No. No. That, uh, that, that Those two don't mix. Those two don't mix. And so it'll be very interesting to see where things go these next five games. Because I, I don't think anything's guaranteed. First of all, we don't know if JT Daniels will be the quarterback next Saturday. Uh, it may be Matt Fink. Uh, who knows? Jack Sears may rise up this week. Who knows? Right, right, but but you know, some sometimes when you take away a strength, it could it could force this program into balancing itself out. Okay, and let's hope that um, a JT Daniels, like you talked about, is healthy enough to play. But if he is not, and it's a next man up mentality, rally around Matt Fink and give him all the support he needs to be as successful as one can be to carry the torch until JT is healthy enough to come back. I, I, I agree with you, and I would I, I would say there was a few comments on the board saying, hey, the offense, the, the, the offense actually looked better last night, strictly in that vacuum of last night. You can argue the offense looked better with Matt Fink in there. <laughs> right, you know, um, because it so seems like Matt Fink knows knows who he is, <laughs> you know, and he's only he's going to give you that. But that's at a sample size. Um, oh, I don't no want to see no that long term. But if, I, I if that's you. what it takes to get it back in play, then um, to get that running game going again, do whatever it takes. But Clay, you got to go figure something out. Maybe you're leaving the office too early at, at midnight. Maybe you need to stay overnight. Who knows? Or maybe you need to get away from the office because if that's, right. your, that's your pattern, then break your pattern. Break your tendencies and do something there different. Get away for a day so that you can reflect outside looking in instead of inside looking out. Uh, these are all good thoughts. Uh, it will be very interesting to see what happens next Saturday. Well, thanks for the thoughts, Daryl. For Daryl Rodeau, this is Gary Pasquitz. You're listening to the We Are SC Podcast.